0: So we continue in our sermon series during Lent and we focus on the Gospel of Luke and I just want to continue to encourage you all to read with me through the Gospel of Luke and you all, if you've not picked one of these up, this is, um, it has on the back side a little bit about our, all our services during Lent but also specifically each day we have a chance to be able to read a different um, piece of scripture and I, I just really am so compelled to be able to read this. I, I just want you to know, I, you know, when you go and read the word of God, it's just awesome. And because I just think the Holy Spirit is always trying to reveal something new. And I'll give you an example of this. And I was sitting in the back porch um, studying my sermon. Then after I finished, I started reading the scripture lesson. And so um, I, I came to the point yesterday, I was reading the, the very beginning, where Jesus was in the temp- temple at the age of 12. Luke is the only one who has that. And so I just was kind of went back. I've read that t- scripture a hundred times. And then I found myself just kind of mesmerized by that particular piece of scripture because, you know, um, Jesus went AWOL for like three days. His mom and dad didn't know where he was. So they went down the road and they thought, you know, jo- Joseph thought he was with Mary and Mary thought he was with Joseph. And they, you know, and so then they they are down road and then they have to come back and they spent a whole day looking for those three days. So I asked myself, you know what? What was Jesus doing those three days? I mean, did he have something to eat? Who are he? I mean, he's only 12, right? Did he just wander around the streets? Did he spend all three days just sitting there in the, in the temple? And what was really powerful to me was I, I just felt, I mean, I can't wait to be able to preach on this scripture again, because I got all these great ideas. And I thought, you know what? Jesus is like a little sponge, just taking it all in, age 12. And the Bible says that he was listening intently to what the rabbis were teaching, but then also he was blowing them away by how smart he was and how well he knew the scriptures. I just love that. So once again, I'm just giving you an example. I've read that scripture a hundred times, but I'm rereading the Gospel of Luke and I wanna encourage you to be able to continue to read along with me um, through the Gospel of Luke as we um, walk through Lent. Okay, so the scripture lesson today um, comes from uh, actually the seventh chapter. And um, so let me just read part of it and then I'm gonna teach on this um, today. Um, and here these words. This is entitled, A Simple Woman is um, Forgiven. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him And uh, he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, um, having learned that he was eating the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. Uh, She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. And then she continued kissing his feet, anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to him, Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Chapter 8. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and the villages proclaiming the bringing, the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and as well as some of the women who had been cured, all of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons had, who had cast out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Uh, this is the word of God for the people of God. The thanks be to God. Amen. So I, I loved uh, the song Angie sang. I actually um, asked her if she would sing that for us. Come Just As You Are, it's a theme of our a whole sermon series uh, for this uh, whole sermon series of Lent. And, um, and I just love, I love that song. It's like an old praise song back in like 1990s. And uh, Angie and uh, Sean had never even heard it. And I said, can you go back and read, you know, maybe can you practice that song? So I asked her to sing this. And so here, one well, begin. here are the words for the song, the opening for today. Come just as you are, hear the spirit call. Come just as you are, come and see. Come and receive. Come and live forever. So the time I sermon today is come and see. So then I started thinking about, as I kind of got locked in about this whole vi- thing about vision and come and see. And the first person that I came to mind was um, Helen Keller. She couldn't see, but she could see. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of Helen Keller. I love that picture, she was just beautiful. And so, you know, what? what's interesting, you know, um, I did a little research. And so Helen Keller was, I think, at the age of 18 months. Um, she got, evidently, maybe meningitis. She got what they call crib fever. And once um, she kind of came out of that, um, she was actually just, uh, evidently, uh, at that point, she was just uh, normal. She, she had, you know, she could have, she could see, she could hear. But then something dramatically happened in her life that she couldn't see and she couldn't hear. And I believe she was mute. She couldn't talk. And so, um, just an amazing story, Um, but you know what's interesting? I I went back this week and looked up some Helen Keller quotes because she, she couldn't see, but she could see. Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much, she said. You don't love someone for their looks or their clothes or for their fancy car, but because they sing a song only you can hear. People don't like to think. If one thinks, one must reach conclusions. Conclusions are not always pleasant. I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it is my chief duty to accomplish small tasks as if they were great and noble. And then finally, there is no better way to thank God for your sight than by giving a helping hand to someone in the dark. Helen Keller. She couldn't see, but she could see. So what I love about the Gospel of Luke is, you know, the Gospel of Luke is about the nobodies, right? Almost every single page you go and you see over and over again that, you know, one of the key themes is that Jesus is lifting up the lowly. And what we find over and over again, almost on every page, you see that there are these nobodies, but then God wants them to see that they're somebody. And then our role as once again, if you're somebody is if you're somebody, you should be lifting up the nobodies. That's what we find over and over again. And right out of the gate, if you once again, you go back and look, there is a a really intricate way that Luke begins the gospel and he really hones in actually on, on women. And what's very powerful, and you look at the role of women right out of the gate, because once again, women were always, they weren't lifted up. And so we find this great story about Elizabeth and Zachariah, and Elizabeth was late in the years, and of course her cousin is Mary, and so Elizabeth's going to give birth to John the Baptist, but they don't think that's ever going to happen, because... Um, she's so old and Zechariah is old. So we had that story right out of the gate. By the way, it's interesting because if you were a woman in the first century and people look, kind of look down on you because you couldn't have children. It's like evidently the the Lord has closed her womb and she couldn't have children. And so evidently the way they looked at first century is like you must have done something wrong. Maybe you did something to miff God off. And and so there, there's that reason. So there, there's that whole kind of... Um, convoluted way of looking at life especially if you're a woman and she couldn't bear children so what's powerful about that story she does give birth to a child later in the years and what's interesting about that story it's very similar to the story that we find in Abraham and Sarah and so Abraham and Sarah waited way later in years and so Sarah doesn't give birth to Isaac until she's 90 and old man Abraham he's 100 can you imagine having a kid 100 I can't even comprehend that My granddaughter comes and visits us and we are wore out after three days. I'm just telling you, okay, you get it. So what's very interesting right out of the gate, we find that, and so there's this sense about women and the role and Luke wants to see that and the role women play in the story of Luke and we don't always have that all the way in the other gospels. So not only are they, we have women, but they're older women. And then we have the intricacy of this part of the story about Mary, and Mary is a younger woman. She's only like probably 13 or 14, how God uses her in this story, and, and how God looks down. Once again, when he's talked about, and she has this, when she talks about when God has blessed her, and that God is lifting up the lowly, Mary even talks about, they talked about that last week. And I think it's really, really powerful when we look at this part of the story. I thought it was really interesting, and let me just teach for a second, is that that right out of the gate also, I don't know if you realize this, but um, can you put that first slide of about the first scripture in the Gospel of Luke? So let me read this to you. And I think this is rather intriguing. So this is a teaching moment. So many have um, undertaken to draw upon account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certain, with, with certainly of the things that you have been taught. So who in the heck is Theopolis? So I don't know if you are this is the first, this is the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. So I don't know if you ever read that part, but that's but intriguing, isn't it? So what's very interesting is evidently, um, uh, Luke um, is riding away and back in the ancient days if you're a writer you sometimes you would need someone to help kind of bankroll you to be able to help support you in order to go do your investigation and someone to actually be able to help support you financially so Theopolis evidently is a person who had some means he is a somebody and it's almost as if that the gospel of Luke the Luke writer is actually dedicating this kind of this gospel to him because he's been so supportive and evidently Theopolis was evidently he was a somebody, and he wanted to make sure when Luke was writing the stories that actually the nobodies were also considered. I thought that's actually rather incons- really interesting. So here's the interesting things, key things that we need to consider about the Gospel Luke. Luke wants us to see the humble humanity of Jesus. Luke pays close attention to the details and gives us all the facts. He is a close companion of the Apostle Paul and would have interviewed the disciples. He's an eyewitness to the birth and growth of the church. Luke traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, which underscores Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the Son of Man. So what Luke wants us to see, he wants us to see the true Jesus. He wants to see who Jesus really is. Now what's very interesting, here's once again, another teaching moment. He put this slide up about seeing Jesus as the Son of God. So here's a, Simeon and Anna. This, this is a quote, "This child is destined for the fallen rising." Um, Jesus in the temple, the 12-year-old, as a 12-year-old, he said to his mom, Mom, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Uh, John the Baptist, but one who will, was more powerful than me is coming, referring to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, when the, Jesus is baptized, the heavens open up, and we hear the voice of God say, You are my son, the beloved. In his genealogy in the Gospel, of Luke, we find that he traces it all the way back to Adam, who is the son of Adam, who is the son of God. And then the temptation story, we find even the devil is tempting Jesus and he says, hey, if you really are the God, son of God, then do this. Turn the, take these stones and turn them into bread. And then the, even when Jesus has been rejected in the temple and the no prophet's going to be accepted in his hometown when he's in Nazareth, even the Nazarenes were at the people of the temple said, hey, wait a minute, is this Joseph's son or is it somebody else? So we find this theme over and over again that Luke wants us to find and see Jesus for ultimately who he really is, and he is the son of God. What's also interesting is when you look at this theme about being Jesus being the son of God in the gospel, of Luke, there's a key word called release. Can you put that next slide up if you could, please, about release? So release is typically used for forgiveness, but not in Luke. Um, Luke uses the word in a different way. It means release the poor, which means the economically oppressed. To release the lame, the physically oppressed. To release the condemned, the politically oppressed. To release the blind, the prophetic vision for the oppressed. Release the year of the Lord's favor, the liberation of the oppressed. Once again, over and over again, you see that Jesus Christ is set here to be able to lift up the lowly. And that's the reason why the Gospel of Luke, we find on almost every single page, You find the people who are the outcasts and the downtrodden and the outskirts who are just the people on the outs. Luke includes them. And once again, we find that this gospel is written for the gospel of the nobodies and the nobodies should be lifted up because Jesus is saying, you are somebody in my, you are sacred worth. Now, what's also interesting about the gospel of Luke right out of the gate, now only you have this story about, you know, um, older women being um, lifted up and how God uses them. But you also have this story about Mary, and of course you have the story about the very birth of Jesus. And what I thought was really interesting when I was intriguing when I was doing my detective work this week, you have this comparison between Jesus and Herod. So you have Herod who's the king, right, of Judea, but then you have Jesus who's come to be the king of kings. And so what's very interesting, the king of kings, he spends his first night, can you put that picture up, the manger? He, He spends his first night in a manger. And right down the road, guess what happens? Right down the road, there's a guy named Herod, and he's got a palace. And, what pa- and this guy is so powerful, and by the way, this, this guy is so powerful, he can actually build his palace, and he can actually move a mountain. That mountain was not there 2,000 years ago until Herod took it and moved the mountain. He literally moved a mountain because he wanted to build a, t- a palace on top of that mountain. So what's he do? He actually takes the dirt, and he actually has people to move a mountain so he can see what's coming down the pike. No wonder Jesus referred to says, Hey listen, if you have just have this faith, you can actually move mountains. He remembers what Herod's done. He uses Herod's palace as a visual aid. So you have this, this powerful image between Mary being the low, the lowly. She was, a, she was a, um, a, you know, a, a peasant person. She was only four, 14. She's a woman. And how God uses her to do something very mighty. But right down the road is this other king who thinks he's the king of the Jews. So what's interesting, Harry can move mountains, but Jesus Christ is gonna move the world. Can I have amen on that? Harry can move mountains, but Jesus Christ is gonna move the world. So I was thinking about this this week, and so I, I thought it was interesting, this, once again, right out of the gate, we have this image, not only is Luke referring to women, but also the idea of aging women, how God uses them. And so I had this kind of epiphany this last week, and then I'm about age, and so, true story, I went to McDonald's, and um, what's interesting is that I walked in the other day, and I ordered my same thing, I usually get like a McDouble, I bundle because it's cheap, and I'm cheap, and um, so you can get that for like $3.39, and then they, you can get Get a drink and so the whole thing comes up to like four dollars and 39 cents or something like that okay so i go in i got my little gift card and so i pay for it so i go and that's like on a tuesday so i thought you know what so the next day i go back to mcdonald's so when i go back to mcdonald's i i i I said okay and i ordered the exact same thing this time he charges me like five dollars and 65 cents whoa 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 let's back up (laughs) exact same how did it go up like a dollar and a half and so I, and he says, well, I, I don't know. And so the young kid's like, he's kind of baffled. And I said, so I questioned about it. And he and he said, I said, well, here, so what's interesting about how Harold's wired, so I have my gift card, but I always keep the receipt. And every time I keep the receipt is I wrap it around the gift card because I wanna know what's still on my balance. So I know like if I got a little money left on it. So I kept the receipt. So I said, here's the receipt. And so he opens up the receipt and he looks at the receipt and he says, well, here, Mr. Hendren, here's the reason why. He says, yesterday you were charged for a senior drink. Today, I'm not charging you for your senior drink. I said, bless you, my child. <laughs> so I had this epiphany at McDonald's. That all of a sudden, I, I'm old now. I'm officially old because I could get a senior drink, right? So, I thought it was interesting this last week of my reading. I I thought this is very powerful. Is that um, actually Adam Hamilton talks about this in his book, this book that we're reading about Luke? Um, He talks about how there's a guy named Arthur Brooks, who's a Harvard professor, and he talks about aging. And he talks about how there's a time in our lives that we would call fluid intelligence, and there's a time in our lives that we call crystallized intelligence. And fluid intelligence is when you're young, you're sharp, you're agile, you got speed, and you know, you can, like in my life, you know, I could, I could work 60 hours a week, and I could coach four little league teams, and I could write a sermon every week, and I had, I could still train for a marathon, that was a place in my life that I would call fluid intelligence, is like, quick, quick, quick. So listen, I want you to know this, as you get older and you go to the McDonald's and, you get on the, and the kid reminds you that you're getting older, you start to crystallize, I just want you to know that. And so what's interesting, he talks about crystallized intelligence when things start slowing down. And so we all can relate, to well, most of us can relate to that. And so the idea of crystallized intelligence is as the idea that all of a sudden we begin to slow down, but also we have more maturity and we have more wisdom and things you have look at life a little differently. And so, I, you know, it's, I, I can relate to that. I can totally understand that about the idea of sometimes my kids call me up and they say, Dad, you know, I, I'm going through this right now, but I need a little advice. And so the way that I respond at the age of 60 is different from how I would respond at the age of 30. So what's, I'm going to give you another example of this. And so can you put that picture of Tom up? There's, there's Tom Brady. Let me tell you something. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they, they gave him a bunch of money to come back and play for them. And he, you know, when he was like 21, he was fluid. But now when, he's on the, when he was on the field, he looked like a wounded duck when he ran up the field, right? And, the, and the, let me tell you something. The reason why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers paid him millions and millions of dollars is because he was crystallized on the field. It's because he was the smartest person on the field because he knew, he knew all the intricacies about pl- all the defenses and so forth, and he was almost like a coach on the field. There's a difference from the age of the Tom Brady at 21 to the age of 41 in life. So I tell you all that, and here's the interesting thing. I'm gonna give you a statistic, New Covenant, you ready? Hello, okay. <laughs> here's the interesting t- statistic about New Covenant. Do you realize the, um, the our average age, when you look at the ages from 70 to 90 years old, you ready? From 70 to 90 years old, that represents um, 83% of our congregation. 83%. Now, let me tell you something, which means that we're, I guess we're crystallizing, right? And so what I think is powerful, though, that there is power, not only what I would call this idea of fluid intelligence, but also I think there's power in being crystallized. Can you put the next slide up about our impact? So I shared with you all the very beginning of the year, and this to me is amazing what we've been able to accomplish at New Covenant United Methodist Church, a place to call home. Even though that we're a little bit older, even though that we are Crystallize some amazing statistics that we have been able to accomplish about new members and active small groups and how much um, 15,000 pounds of food gleaned and people had to go get the food by the way they went and picked the oranges where that happened it happened with a congregation that's somewhere between 70 90 83 percent so the reason why i share that with you because listen we are mighty in the power of jesus christ and how christ continues to motivate us and use us in a mighty way and that's the point we find the gospel loop how God can use older people and still be able to lift them up, can amen on that? Amen. amen. So what I think about, when I think about this story today, I think it's really powerful, but I also think it's really powerful how God uses women in this story. I mean, once again, over and over again, you find then the gospel of Luke, Luke lifts up women. And so let me tell you a, a quick little story, true story. Um, um, once upon a time, there was a little girl, um, I think she was five and um, she felt as if that, the. And this is to me is amazing. It's an amazing story. You don't hear this everywhere. At the age of five, she was in church and she felt as if the Holy Spirit came over her and she began to cry, cry uncontrollably. And, um, but she didn't really know what, how to interpret it because she was only five. Now I'm thinking about this because my granddaughter's five. And, then, um, and so the woman next to her turned to her and said to this little girl, she says, do you want to be saved? And the little girl didn't understand what it meant to be saved. So fast forward to when she was 16. So when she, at 16, she felt, once again, the Holy Spirit walk, um, move in her life, and um, came upon her. And then she walked down the aisle, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ, and she went to the altar, and she gave, and she actually, at the age of 16, she surrendered her life to Jesus, and she was saved. At the age of 22, um, all of a sudden she felt as if that God was pressing this calling upon her life, and she went um, to her pastor, and of course this she was a part of a Baptist church, and I, I'm not, please don't interpret that I'm being negative in any form fashion towards another denomination, but in, this, in their faith, that she was told that she couldn't really serve like ever as a pastor, but she could serve as a missionary. And then, and then, she told her her, ba- her uncle, who was a Baptist pastor, who said to her, um, "You know, here's the interesting. Thing. You know, we're going to pray up. I've always known since you're a little girl that you were going to be a pastor's wife, and we're going to pray you up a pastor." So then, um, a few months later, um, she ends up ultimately getting engaged to a pastor. So then she ends up having five kids. Okay, and then she gets to the villages. And she comes to her husband and says, You know, I'd really like to be able to maybe further my education, so I want to go back to school. And the husband said, Knock yourself out. And she became a school teacher. And she started teaching at the charter school. And she's done that for the last eight years. About three or four years ago, she goes to her pastor, I mean, goes to her pastor a better husband and says you know what I I really think that God has called me since the age of 22 but in my other denomination where I was I was told I really couldn't do that and I there was my role was more of about a missionary so you know I've been supportive as the pastor as being a pastor's wife but I really feel as if that God has called me to go into the full time ministry and I'm grateful that the United Methodist Church is going to allow me to do that and so about a year and a half ago, can you show that picture? My wife, Donna Hendren, is in a black robe. Now what's very powerful about that story is that how God is used, and I'm just sharing you all a personal story about someone who's taken this journey of life of how God spoke to her as a little child and then continued to speak to her at the age of 16 and continued to speak to her at the age of 22. But God would not Get her off that calling. And she, and she shared with me, once again, when I was driving to the parking lot, she, she heard me tell the story last night. She says, I need for you to correct some of this of your story. She want to make sure I got it right. <laughs> and I think I got it right, because I know when she gets home from preaching this morning, she's going to tune in to make sure I got it right. I'm just telling you. Okay. So what I love about that is it's so powerful. Once again, here's how... God works and spoke to a woman who has had this continue. And what I love about this is, once again, when you look at the gospel Luke, it's so powerful because Luke wants to emphasize women. Now, I don't know if you to realize this, but this is really interesting. There are 1,700 people who are named in the Bible. 1,563 of them are men, but only 137 are named as women. That's a 1 to 11 ratio. Luke mentions women by name more than any other gospel. Luke has more stories about women than any other gospel. Luke has women speaking more lines than any other gospel. Luke tells a story about a man, then follows it with another story about a woman than any other gospel. Luke reveals a woman and the connection in the most pivotal ways in the gospel of Jesus' ministry than any other gospel. If you go back and look at the story, I love this about Luke. Once again, how powerful when he thinks about lifting up the lowly because the women were not really uh, edified as they were. But you have the story about Elizabeth. you got the story about Mary. You've got the story, of once again, as, uh, you have the story about Anna, who is the prophet at the age of 84, and she is in the, in the temple, and she talks about uh, Jesus being dedicated. So there's the first miracle in the gospel, Luke, is not Jesus turned the water into wine. We have that in John. No, it's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus raises the widow's son because he has compassion for her. Next story. The next story after that, there's a 12-year-old girl who's Jairus' daughter, and she's dying. Jesus heals her. The next story is there's a woman who's hemorrhaging, who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Jesus heals her. The next story is there's a woman who has been disabled for 18 years. Jesus heals her. Luke tells us over and over again about the women at the crucifixion. It's women there. Luke tells us about the first people who know about the resurrection and Jesus' resurrection. It's woman so what's very powerful matter of fact can you put that next slide up about Luke 8 if you could what's very powerful look soon afterwards Jesus traveled from city sea city. I just read this to you just a few minutes ago and the 12 were with him along with some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness among them were a woman by the name Mary Magdalene from whom she has been cast out seven demons Joanna, the wife of Herod's servant, and Susanna and many others provided for them uh, the resources. Now, what's very powerful about that? First of all, Susanna, I love that. I believe that Susanna Wesley is probably named after her because it's the same way that Susanna Wesley spells her name. I thought was very interesting. Joanna, the wife of Herod's servant, Chusa, which is very powerful. This is the same Herod. Ready? This is the same Herod that actually beheaded John the Baptist. This is the same Herod that actually mocks Jesus and they put a robe on him and talks about him being the king of the Jews when he's just about to be crucified. Can you imagine the risk it would have taken for her to be able to actually be a follower of Jesus Christ when her husband is one of the chief officials of Herod? That took guts. And then you got Mary Magdalene who has had these seven demons. Now, let me tell you a story. Well, I think this is very powerful can you put that next slide up about the mountain and Mary? Okay, so here's a picture. Matter of fact, I'm going to be there in two weeks. This is Magdala. They've actually done some excavating and they have found a synagogue. And the reason why they know it's a synagogue, because that's where the rabbi would have taught in that synagogue. No doubt, I love this idea. When you walk and you can walk and you see the threshold of the synagogue, Jesus would have walked through that synagogue. You can see the threshold walking in. I know, when you talk about walking in Jesus' steps, you know that you're stepping right where Jesus stepped. It's amazing. So then we have this picture of Magdala. And what I love about this picture, you ready? This is, a, this is an ancient city. This is where Mary Magdalene was from. And so it's very powerful. Uh, you see the cliff on the left-hand side? There's a valley on the other side. And we call that Valley of Doves. And when Jesus was cast out of Nazareth, you ready? When Jesus was no prophet except in his hometown, he would have had to walk and he would have walked right through the Valley of Doves. The first spot, the, the first town he would have come to before he actually gets to Galilee, before he gets to C- the Capernaum, he would have found someone and he would have stopped in Magdala. Who's in Magdala? Mary, the Magdalene. What does Jesus do? He casts out seven demons. I would suggest maybe, 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 that maybe the first miracle that we find that Jesus actually performs is Mary Magdalene. He casts out the seven demons. The first place that Jesus would have stopped as he begins his journey at the age of 30, would have been Magdala. Because once you make the turn, and you come through that little crevice, you make a right-hand turn, you go up a few hundred yards, and there's Magdala. So what's very powerful, when you think about this story, I told this about story, about you how Luke emphasizes the importance of Mary, I think this is very interesting. Mary was at the crucifixion while the disciples were hiding. Mary was at, at Jesus' burial. Mary. Who, was at the, who, was to, who went to prepare Jesus' body for the burial? Mary. Who was the first person to find out that the tomb was empty? Mary. Who was the first to find out that Jesus had been raised from the dead? Mary. Who was the first person to see Jesus after he had been raised from the dead? Mary. Who was the first person to proclaim Jesus had been raised from the dead? Mary. Jesus isn't about silencing women, the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is about empowering women. Did you get that? So we get to this last little part of the story, and Jesus is in Simon's house, the Pharisee. And the word Pharisee, folks, literally means to be set apart. And what's very interesting, Jesus didn't come to be set apart Jesus came to be a companion. What's interesting, you look at the Greek or the uh, Latin, the word companion, comp means with, and uh, panis means bread. It means to break bread. Jesus was, once again, he was always being ridiculed for hanging out with the sinners, right? The ones who were the outcast, the outsiders, the people who were on the outs. And what did Jesus do? Over and over again, he was always having dinner with them. I love this quote. I was watching the news this last week and actually I wrote this down. I thought that was actually very powerful. Um, It was a woman who was, um, uh, she was living in the Russian part of, it was Ukraine, but the Russians had taken over this part of Ukraine. And so evidently there was some bombing or something going on there and they were interviewing this woman who was Russian. And this is what she said. She says, you know what? We all believe in the same God. Why can't we share the same bread? Now that was powerful. We all believe in the same God, why can't we share in the same bread? So Jesus finds himself, he's been invited by Simon to come to his house and so once again, he's snubbed. Um, he, uh, Simon doesn't actually um, offer to be able to um, uh, greet him with a kiss. Uh, Simon doesn't um, do anything about washing his feet. Jesus doesn't, uh, Simon doesn't give him any kind of oil to freshen him up. He doesn't do any of that which is part of hospitality. So listen, here's the thing, it's interesting. Simon is a Pharisee, he's set apart. He's set apart away from the sinful people and yet Jesus comes to be a companion of sinful people. You got this two dynamics, you can't get any more extreme, right? And so it's very powerful, once again, all of a sudden who shows up, the sinful woman. We don't, have it, we don't have her name, but she just shows up. Maybe Jesus, she had some kind of encounter with Jesus early in the day, maybe she had heard Jesus speak. Something just like my wife at the age of 16. The Holy Spirit came upon her even at the age of five. Something compelled this woman, and it took courage, it, it took guts, and she is, listen, let me tell you something, she's, she's not perfect, um, she's come a long ways, um, and then all of a sudden you find she's courageous, she's desperate, she's not perfect, but she is generous. And she holds the most precious thing that she has of value, and it's a vial, a big vial of perfume. And she comes and finds herself at Jesus' feet. And so, what's very powerful is about that story, we have to ask ourselves, why was she at Jesus' feet? Because, see, here's interesting. um, Simon was lofty. Jesus, in the eyes of Simon, was lowly. There's a difference. And so this woman comes in, and guess what? Here's the interesting thing. The woman is so low. She's so low. She can't be any other place. She can't even lift her eyes up to look at Jesus. That's how low she was. I love that part of the story. So what's very powerful is that Simon looks at himself as being lofty, but Jesus has come to lift up the lowly. Can they amen on that? I love that. So Jesus has this conversation with Simon and he says, listen, um, um," he gives him a little parable. He says, hey, once upon a time, there's a guy that owed one guy 50 bucks and there was a guy who owed him 500 bucks. He says, by the way, which one do you think would love him more if he was willing to forgive the debt?' He says, well, the guy who owed him 500 bucks. He says, you answered correctly. He says, by the way, this woman's got a lot of sin in her life. I, I recognize that. But what I think is really powerful, this is what Jesus says to the woman. He says, listen, your sins have been forgiven. They go in peace. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn her Jesus Christ came to forgive her. Jesus didn't come to condemn you and me, but Jesus came to raise us up, to forgive us. So when I I think about this, I think think one of the greatest lines, and here's my last thought for the day, I think one of the greatest lines in this story, I think it's one of the greatest lines of the gospel. Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, Simon, Simon. Do you see this woman? See, what Simon saw was a sinner. And what Jesus saw was something totally different. He saw someone who wanted to have compassion toward her. He saw someone who he wanted to offer grace for. He saw someone who he wanted to forgive. And that's exactly how Jesus Christ sees us today. So you know I always like to bring my sermons full circle. I don't know if y'all realize that. And here's, my, here's my last quote. Here it is, okay. It's a quote from Helen Keller. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision.